Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more life. I invite you to be seated for just a moment as we set some context for our text today. We are in the midst of this series about callings, where God is calling, how God is calling each of us to respond. It's never been about God calling, it's always been about our responding. In the past several weeks, we've looked from the mysterious kind of element in Esther to the pointed moments that we see in others that are called by name. Today, we look at one whose name alone is a rather fascinating aspect. Um, It's probably in most all of your minds. You've seen somewhere in all that's happened that literally this thing called Facebook that is the... uh, I've heard it's the old folks' social media, though. I'm, I'm learning that from the young folks. I say, well, I can't find so-and-so on Facebook. Oh, that's for old people. So that's us, right? It's old people. But there's supposed to be this major name change to meta. And I heard this little brilliant commentary when someone said, well, that's just stupid. We're all still going to call it Facebook. There's this name change that often accompanies God's encounter with people. But sometimes it doesn't always show up as dramatic. Today, the fascinating thing is we're going to read about Saul of Tarsus. Saul, who was educated in Jewish and a Roman citizen in Tarsus, away from Jerusalem, and we're going to read about his conversion. You'll later hear in Acts chapter 13, he suddenly referred to as Paul. So Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Roman name, but it's still the same person. But it's fascinating that there is not specifically a moment of who is doing the baptizing. So when we think about Jesus' baptism at the River Jordan, all of the texts are very clear. It was John the Baptist who was there who baptized Jesus. And you would think, you know, this guy, Paul, to whom 60% of the New Testament will be attributed, the church will be birthed upon his missionary work. We know he's baptized, but we don't even know who baptized him. Now here's a fascinating little sidebar. This is not accidental. Paul actually tells us in the text, not today, but in other places, I do not baptize because I don't want anyone to think that they were baptized in my name. I want them to know it's all about Jesus. So just that little vignette of Paul's life is rather amazing. He shows up in the seventh chapter of Acts. They're stoning Stephen, and he stands nearby and watches it all happen and sees Stephen being stoned to death. Now, I can't help but believe that the way in which Stephen is being stoned to death outside the walls of Jerusalem, lifting his hands up, saying, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. That 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 has to be a burning image in Paul's mind. He's still wanting to to, uh, carry out murderous threats, as they call it. And that's where we're going to pick the text. But before we get to the text, I always think it's good about the context. So when you think about the road, you go about 160 miles. What does it look like out to where something happened? Well, it looks kind of like this. This is an image from Mount Bental. You can actually, it's fascinating. Uh, This science tells you all about what happened at Mount Bental. It's a stronghold that looks to the north, and you see across the plains. And if the Israelis had not had this point, they could have never seen invasion coming to them from the north. 
Uh, it's actually an old bunker that's there. You go up, and if you Google Mount Benthal, you're going to find there's a place called the Anon Coffee Shop. It's just such a odd moment. You go up, it's windy, it's a little cold, you can get a coffee or a latte, a slice of pizza, go, ro- go walk amongst the old bunkers and ruins and look over towards Damascus. And you're, you know, just a, there, all the conflict that's happening beyond the United Nations border there, and you're sipping your latte, it's just a, there's such a conflict that happens in that moment, right? And you realize how significant this was. But what did it look like? Well, if we look at a map, and this is Bert's amazing um, drawing with MS Word and Google Maps. Uh, the red line is probably the way in which Paul went from Jerusalem. He would have gone down towards Jericho, that same Jericho road that Jesus goes down and tells the story about the man was on the way. And remember the Samaritan, good Samaritan? And he would have probably gone all the way up what's known as the Jezreel Valley, which is all the way through. You go up through the Jordanian, the Jordan River. He would have swung by on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, Tiberias. He would have been on the west side of the Sea of Galilee because if you've ever been there, the east side is too treacherous and it's all abandoned and, and it's difficult. It's cliffy. But he probably would have gone to Capernaum. Capernaum's sort of the Roman tax place. You go up on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It was the base of Jesus' ministry. Somewhere between leaving from Capernaum, moving to the east and then to the north, somewhere along that way is where this encounter happens. That Paul, in the words of the rock hymn that some of you will know, was blinded by the light. (laughs) I invite you to stand now as you hear the scriptures, and may God speak to each of us through his holy word this day. Picking up in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged there to the way, notice the way, they're not Christians, they're called followers of the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias replied, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, 
This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let us pray together. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. When it comes to God's calling in our lives, I've had many conversations with people following up about how can you discern and how can you know what God is doing and where God is calling? How do I know it's the Holy Spirit and not indigestion or guilt? Well, that's why we have community. We journey together. I was talking with one of my members in a volley back and forth with emails about this and this week and he replied to one of those emails, and he's given me permission to say this to you, so I'll just read it. He said, um, I think you'll find this interesting. You know, I was just thinking this week that people like Paul and Noah had it easy in a sense. Imagine if they did everything on faith without hearing anything or having any direct revelation. Now that would have been incredible. Imagine building an ark without hearing anything at all. Now that's crazy. I think this is what most people have to do in their daily lives. I respect Paul and Noah because it's not easy to do God's will even when you know 100% what it is. But they did get a really clear direction, didn't they? I mean, they were persecuted and suffered but, but with the joy of knowing that they were doing God's will. I don't know about you, Pastor Burt, but I haven't heard a boo, no pun intended, for the season. I've got nothing but faith. And this is why I'm reading this to you. I love this next line. The brother should be here preaching to you today instead of me, but he is because I've got the stuff. 
I'm repeatedly praying to God, to God to do his will. And then not hear anything, I go on 100% faith and I take a next step. Perhaps the craziest thing is I don't want to hear a direct voice. I, I want to base whatever I do 100% in faith and not sight. A, a blind man being guided by notions he cannot completely differentiate as God's will or his own. Absolutely. Regardless, in many respects, I'd rather be wrong and operate on faith and faith alone. Build an ark not knowing if it's God's will, knowing in the end that you might have just built a large, expensive lawn wood ornament with the consolation that at least God did not reveal himself in a way that diminished your ability to know him through faith and faith only. Friends, I, I love this authentic reflection that if we were really honest, very few of us have those blinded by the light kinds of moments. Very few of us have actually heard the audible call of God in our life. Maybe some never will. And yet we're still called by faith. And even if we've not had that blinded by the light kind of moment, I still believe there is something we can hear in God's call to Saul in the scripture. The text alone has so many beautiful sort of tensions within it. For example, Paul intends to take people of the way prisoner to Jerusalem, right? He goes with authority to bind others, and yet he is blinded, and he is led by the hand and ends up becoming one of the very people he sought to persecute and arrest. But remember that phrase, led by the hand. Because at the end of Paul's life, the call and comfort to him was that he would be led by the hand at the end of his life, and someone else would show him the way to go. You see, the end of Paul's life matches up with the beginning of his life in his ministry. When he is blinded by the light, someone else comes along and leads him along the way. Paul doesn't recognize Jesus' voice. If you read in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, I'm going to end the sermon with these two powerful questions. Who are you and what shall I do? In Acts 22, when Paul retells the story of his conversion, and you'll find his conversion in Acts chapter 9, he retells it in Acts chapter 22, and then in Acts chapter 26, he adds an extra story. It's as if Paul was a fisherman, right? And the first time he went out and caught the fish, it was one that was this big. But by the time he retells it, it was a dozen that were all this big, right? I don't know, maybe, maybe clarity was brought over time. What I knew, do know for clear is that Paul is blinded, and at this moment he's told, just go. And then I think the most miraculous thing, because this really is not for me a story about Paul or Saul. This is a story of calling about a different character. And I know God could have raised up or used somebody else, but I want us to celebrate the hero of this story in human form. It is not Saul. It is not the men who traveled with him who heard and led him by the hand. No, the hero of this story in human form is Ananias. Now we can all go through and look at history and say, how many St. Paul United Methodists or St. Paul Catholic Church do you know? Lots of them. Raise your hand if you're comfortable as a Methodist, or nod your head, if you've ever heard of a St. Ananias church. Now, they do exist, but they're very minor. 
But with this character, Ananias, you find there the beginning of it. Paul doesn't know who it is. What do you want with me, Lord? And by the way, in the Greek, that's lowercase l. When he addresses him as Lord later, it's an uppercase l. But this is the lowercase l within the Greek. What do you want with me, divine being? He doesn't even know who's talking to him. Who are you, right? Read the text. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, divine being? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. But when Jesus calls Ananias, what does he say? Yes, Lord. You see, he spent time with God in such a way that he knew and discerned and recognized the voice of Christ. This is the hero of the story in human form for our faith. This is the model of our faith, that we would so intimately be able to read Scripture that we could discern the voice of Christ and the movement of the Holy Spirit above guilt or confusion or the clamor of the world and with clarity be able to say, Yes, Lord. Have you had that kind of moment, church? Have you had that moment where you could say yes? We all need a moment of yes, a moment with absolute clarity that amidst all of the confusion and questions and things that we may not be understand, we can say with clarity, I said yes to Christ. And then you learn how to say another yes. And I want, to, I want to tell you, I want to give you a word of warning. I suggest to you that there ought to be maybe a surgeon's general's warning spiritually for everybody. If we're really going to proclaim the gospel and live the gospel, you ought to know this is going to change your life. It's not going to look the same. Your decisions will be different. Your priorities will be different. What you do in your life will be different. And if nothing changes and you've never had that moment, are you ready for that moment? Are you looking for that moment? Look, I've told you before, I'm a third generation preacher's kid. I was drugged to church every day. The doors of the church were open. I can't tell you a Christmas Eve except last year when I had COVID. In 56 years, there's only one Christmas Eve that I can't remember being in church. And in church with a vacuum cleaner in my hand, cleaning up drips of wax and putting up those little paper things. It's been my whole life, but it took a specific moment in time when I could move from the idea of attending church, praising it, and having that personal relationship. You see, my friends, in a culture that is hyped up in individuality, we must clearly distinguish in the faith. Your faith must be personal in the context of a community. It is not private. You see, this is the problem. Our culture wants to tell us it's just me and my Jesus, right? And sometimes that slips into us. It's just me and my Jesus. He's not your Jesus. We're his. Then you have to have that personal kind of relationship, that moment in time when you can say, I do. You need that kind of moment in time. Here's why. Do you see these rings? These are names of people who are praying for men that they will never see. Men who are in prison, who are not getting out, who already probably know the date of their death. They already know it's coming. And there are people who have said, I am going to pray for this person that I'm never going to meet. Not only that, there's a group of men and women who have been so compelled by their yes to Christ that they're choosing to go in and carry that message. That's life change. That's the kind of change of life that will cause you to reach beyond yourself. So I need to ask you this question to close. Three questions to close. First, have you had your Ananias moment where you can say clearly yes to Christ? Have you had your Ananias moment? 
where you can say yes to Christ, even though the task may be absolutely overwhelming. And if you haven't, can you ask these two questions that Paul asked? First, in Acts chapter 9, he says, who are you, Lord? Keep asking the question, church. One of the reasons I am Methodist is that we are not afraid of the questions because we believe that questions are about a reflection and engaging our minds and hearts, and they take us deeper into finding out God's revealed word and his will for our life. But if you had that moment where you've been able to say, who are you, Lord? And then reaching forward into Paul's retelling in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Have you asked that incredibly threatening, self-surrender and scary kind of question? What shall I do? Or to put it in my sort of redneck vernacular, Paul says in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, Hey, God, what do you want me to do? It's a simple question. God, what do you want me to do? And what Paul does is what we need to do. He gets up, he gets baptized, and his life is forever different. Forever different. The importance of this series and focusing on callings is to lift up for each of us the biblical witness that no one person's calling is exactly like another. It may be a quiet moment like Esther's where you find a touchstone moment. It may be a blinding light kind of moment as we have clearly here in Paul's life. It could be the Ananias moment where it feels overwhelming, but the common thread is the one who calls. And the one who calls us is the Lord of life. So church, I just ask you today, have you had the moment where you can say with confidence, that you said yes to God. Let's pray together. God, if we were to look at our life and faith like we do our cell phone, there's a lot of times we just let it go to voicemail. We just don't have the time to pick up the call. Or we know exactly what you're calling of us and we are intentionally avoiding what you're calling us to do and be with our life. God, would you forgive us for all the ways that um, we put so much energy into rationalizing that you have the wrong number and it's not me that you're calling. And God, we want to say thank you for your relentless, loving pursuit of each of our lives. If you can take a man like Saul of Tarsus, who in one moment is holding the cloaks of people who were taking the life of somebody else and in the next moment being healed by someone he didn't even know, and then you build the growing church on that. God, certainly we can hear in this story that you can do something with our lives. Even when it doesn't seem to be clear and all we've got to go on is faith. Remind us, God, it's you we believe in because of your love for us in Christ. For this we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, Amen. So church, as we've gathered today, uh, no one's life has been changed in the world because we came and sat in a pew and sang some songs and enjoyed fellowship. But all the face of the world could change if each one of us is willing to respond to the calling of Christ and be his hands, his feet, his heartbeat in the world around us. 
Most important thing to us at KMC is that you're an active disciple of Christ, growing in your faith. And if in response to what you've heard in this calling series, you would like to have a conversation to clarify how you can respond, we would be delighted to have that conversation with you as a pastoral staff. If you don't have a church home, talk to me on the way out. Talk to Matt. Talk to anybody. We'd be delighted to, let you, uh, to invite you into membership at KMC. Whether you ever join this congregation or not, I really don't care. I'd love to have you part of it. You know what I care most about? That when you leave this place, you've encountered the living God in such a way that you can say yes, whether it's a blinding light moment or whether it's a subtle response. But we're all called now to go make of all disciples, and that is our closing hymn. Let's stand together and join our faith in song.